Excellent. Well, we are, we're looking at this brand new series, Run. Who are you running to? Who are you running from? Run. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And we're going to dive right in. The title of this message is Run to Win, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. These are words from the Apostle Paul to his friends in Corinth. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." And then the writer to the Hebrews in the 12th chapter says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As a male living in America, one of the things I wish I had was a love of sports. I really wish that I love sports. I've never really been a sports guy, but I've been in too many of those man conversations where men talk about that quarterback and that linebacker. And I, as a man, I really want to join in and make intelligent comments and say stuff like, how about those Broncos and all of that. But I just don't know enough about this stuff. How many of you love baseball here? Raise your hand if you love, oh, quite a lot of you love baseball. Well, that's great. I'm very pleased for you. I mean, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I have tried to love it. I've been to the game. I've watched. I I don't get the obsession with statistics in baseball. Like, the pitcher has eaten breakfast 42.7 times in 11.2 minutes in the last 12.3 weeks. Who gives a rip? I mean, it's like, what is all that about? And then, of course, in England, we have soccer, God's game. We have that, and and, and then we have cricket as well. I mean, cricket, that's crazy. That game lasts for three days, people. Three days. And get this, it's so British, we stop for tea. (laughs) We do. We do. It's like, I think we're on the edge of victory, but never mind, it's time for tea right now. It's just completely crazy. I've never really been a sports guy. But 2,000 years before the invention of ESPN, I have no idea what those letters stand for, 2,000 years before that, the Apostle Paul was obviously a sports guy because in wanting to be relevant to his audience, he allows his love of sports to bleed into his writing and he uses lots of sporting analogies. That's the first point on your bulletin, on your program, if you like. The Bible frequently uses the race, the running analogy. As we're thinking about running in this series, the Bible frequently uses the race analogy. Paul had just, we just read the words that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, look at this. Corinth was the city where the Isthmian Games were held every other year. The Isthmian Games were the predecessors to the Olympic Games that we currently share. And so Paul, knowing that these, these people, these, these folks who are receiving this letter, he knows that they, they love the games, and so he uses that analogy of running. 
And then when he writes to the church in Philippi, Philippi was a Roman city. It was also a chariot city. They loved chariot racing there. And so again, being relevant, Paul uses a, a, a chariot analogy, Philippians 3 and verse 13. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This straining toward what is ahead, that's chariot language. It's, it's, it's the language of facial uh, features fixed, every muscle taut as the charioteer focuses on steering the horses down the track. If he looks back for a second, there's going to be disaster. And so Paul uses that analogy. Writing to the churches in Galatia, you get the running analogy again, Galatians 2.2. He says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Chapter 5, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. And then writing to young Timothy, a protege of Paul's, he says again, I have fought, look at this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so Paul loves to use this idea of running and racing as an illustration of the Christian life. And it's really appropriate. As we're going to see, running's about progress. It's about passion and effort and energy and single-mindedness and excitement. It's also about destiny. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul talks about running the race set out for us. Did you know that for every person in this building, for every person watching online, God has destiny for you. He has purpose for you. He doesn't want you just to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give you the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give you the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give you the strength to... You're going, right, Pastor Jeff, we got that. We, you don't have to keep doing that. You know what? You were bored with me doing that for seven seconds. Imagine just living your whole life for that. And there's destiny. Run the race marked out for you, says the writer to the Hebrews. Running, it's a great analogy. Secondly, let's see this. Runner's journey. Runner's journey, the call to progress. It's obvious, really, isn't it, that that when, when the starter's pistol fires, there is progress. They go down the track. It's all about going somewhere. That's obvious. Uh, just recently, I caught my wife uh, walking very fast around the kitchen in circles. And uh, my wife is a very balanced, reasonable woman, considering that she lives with me, and not normally given to much aberration in her behavior. But she's marching marching around the kitchen at speed. And I said, honey, what are you doing? And she said, I've got to get my steps in. <laughs> get my steps in. How many know what she's talking about? And she's, look, look at you. And, and, and some of you are checking your Fitbit right now. And, oh. You see, it's about progress, about getting steps. The Christian life is not just about making a decision. I came to know the Lord. The Christian life is, yes, about a decision, but it is then about progress. It is about growing. It's about development. A very keen young Christian got into a railway carriage 
and saw a bishop from the Church of England seated opposite him. He turned to the bishop and he said, Sir, are you saved? And the bishop very wisely responded, Yes, young man, I have been saved. I am being saved, and I will be saved. You see, what he was saying is that salvation is not just a date in your calendar. Salvation is about an ongoing experience. Yes, there's a choice that is made, but then there is a journey that is taken. We don't just invite Jesus into our hearts. That's static. You come where I am, Jesus. Rather, Jesus says to us, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That's mobile. It's going somewhere. It's not just Jesus come to me where I am. It's Jesus saying to us, I'm going somewhere. You want to come? When I became a Christian at the age of 17 in 1832, (laughs) there was exponential growth. You know what I'm talking about. When you first become a Christian, you're passionate, you're keen, you want to learn, you inhale information. And then you imperceptibly start to slow down and you stop learning and you stop saying, I got it wrong. And you settle down into believing in running, but not running. Do you know what? In preparation for this series, I got up. I normally keep my running gear next to my bed. That's a good thing, because it means I haven't got to think about whether I'm going to run. I just get up. I put my running gear on. So yesterday morning, I got up. I put my running gear on. The whole thing, you know, the spandex, the whole deal. (laughs) Get that image out of your mind right now. I I had my running gear on all day until I came to church last night. There's one thing I forgot yesterday. Running. (laughs) Are we still progressing? Are Are we still learning? But can I make a statement? We, we need to keep progressing it. If we don't do that, we'll end up as the Apostle Paul described it. Look at these words, 1 Corinthians 9. Therefore, I do not run like a, a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. So we end up with a sense of purpose, purposelessness if we're not growing. But I want to make this statement, which I hope you'll get this. I've realized that no matter how much I progress in the Christian life, I never graduate from the place of doing Christianity by faith. Let me explain that. When I became a Christian, I thought that one day I'd, I'd, I'd just break through the sound barrier spiritually. And I'd wake up and suddenly the voice of God would be clear and everything would make sense and the angel Gabriel would hand me a cup of tea. And I'd be a fluorescent, dynamic Christian. And it's taken me a while to figure out that however much we progress, we always do this, this side of eternity, by faith. And the Bible recognizes that tension. Now we see through a glass darkly, says the King James Version of 1 Corinthians 13. We're always peering through. One day it will be perfectly clear. But do not think that progress means that we graduate from the need for trust and faith. Thirdly, number three, attitude matters. Attitude matters, the call to healthy thinking. You know, psychologists say that 10,000 thoughts go through every human mind every day. I mean, how do they know? 
Are they counting? How does that work? But if it's true, that's three and a half million thoughts. Three and a half million thoughts in one year. I've learned recently that a lot of running is about thinking. My daughter just recently ran a marathon. Um, it was her first marathon, and I didn't want her to do it because I just didn't want her to do it. She was running it as a sponsored marathon for the, ch the children's charity that her husband uh, leads. And she said, Dad, I'm going to run this marathon. She's done half marathons before. I said, honey, do not do it. I'll write the check. Just don't do it. Stay at home, eat donuts. Just do that. <laughs> Let's do a sponsored donut-eating marathon. She's decided not to take my advice, and she ran the marathon. She said the last four miles was horrendous. She hit the wall. She hit the wall. How many of you have ever run a marathon? Raise your hand. If God bless you mad people. That's wonderful. That's a real achievement. How many of you have never run it, but you think it's a good idea for other people to run them? That's me. She said the last four miles was terrible. She said everything in me was saying, stop. And she sobbed her way through the last four miles. I've got a photograph of her crossing the line. And she, her face is just awash with tears. And she's in agony. And she said, Dad, it was all about my mind. My body was hurting, but my mind was saying, stop. If you're going to run well, what, what are you letting going into your mind? We had some friends come over to England a few years ago. We went to London for the day. We decided to go by train. I took us in the car to the railway station, parked the car, got on the train, went in to London, went to Buckingham Palace actually, looked around, Queen says hi by the way, and came back about 12 hours later and my car door is wide open and I said, someone's broken into the car and my wife gave me a look that she's given me many, many times. She said, Jeffrey, she always calls me Jeffrey when I do something wrong, Jeffrey. You left the car door open all day. I was so excited about seeing the queen. I didn't really. I made that up. I was so excited. I left the car door wide open. I'm like, what am I thinking? Anyone could have taken a, our car. A, a passing buffalo could have climbed into the car. Unlikely in England because they're not there, but who knows? What about leaving the door of your head open? To any passing thought. Oh, here comes bitterness. Here, come on, come on. Well, yeah, come on in. Oh, lust. Let's give that one a turn, shall we? Whereas the Bible talks about taking captive our thoughts. We guard physically what food we put into our bodies. At least we should. Some years ago, I was invited by the Italian Christian church. They asked me to go and speak. They said, we are sick and tired of the mafia of corruption and control in Sicily and so we are going to have a public march of thousands of Christians and we're going to gather in this, the town square in Palermo in Sicily and we're going to declare down with the mafia would you like to come to speak at that event <laughs> I'm like I said, you know, give me, I said, when is it? Give me a couple of years to pray about it. <laughs> they said it's, and, and, and it was in the next few months. I said, look, I, I, I said, I, I'm not that good with mafia stuff. I said, I got this friend, Darry. He's good with mafia. He's good. <laughs> it's going to be good. I went and 
It was amazing. We were guarded by mobile machine gun emplacements just to make us feel all kind of relaxed. <laughs> but what was worse was the meal afterwards. Italian food is normally amazing, but they served, they served live mussels with deep-fried sea snake. And I'm like, I don't know whether to give thanks for it or rebuke it. I went to another country where if you're an honored guest, they feed you with their fingers. I'm trying to think, was it Indonesia or Ethiopia? I think it was Ethiopia, actually. And I'm sitting in this restaurant. This guy's sitting next to me, and we give thanks, and, uh, and suddenly his hand comes over. I'm like, what? It's my food, you know. <laughs> You know, it's, it just feels rude to headbutt someone after you give them thanks. And, and, and he reaches over and he grabs some of my food and sticks his fingers in my mouth. And I'm like, what are you thinking? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? He said, well, you're an honored guest. I said, I want to be a sworn enemy right now. Get your fingers out of my face. We are cautious about what we put in to our bodies when it comes to food. Some of us, we look at the food and we go, yeah. Sometimes we need to look at thoughts and go, healthy thinking. Number four. Number four is we need, we will need discipline, the call to good choices. We will need discipline, the call to good choices. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, says Paul in, uh, in verse 25. He's referring to the 10-month period that you had to train for in order to compete in the Isthmian games. You didn't just show up, but careful discipline was needed. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to take a risk here. Because my sermon notes originally I was going to talk to you at this point about spiritual disciplines and their necessary Bible reading, prayer. That was what we were going to talk about right now. But when, those are important. But we're going to go another direction. You see, I want to talk to some of us who have been disciplined to run in the rain. I want to make a statement that some people might get mad with me about. So here goes. When I became a Christian... I thought that God would be chattier than he has been. I don't mean that irreverently. Sounds irreverent, sounds flippant, but you know what I'm saying. I thought that God would be more talkative. When I first became a Christian, I wasn't hearing him much, but I thought, well, you know, it'll develop. And, and here's, here's my confession. And I, I've agonized over this. Do I say this? But I, I figure that it's truth that sets us free rather than pretending. True? Help me out. So here's the deal. God has not been as talkative as I thought. I mean, I thought, you know, there'd, there'd come a point when he'd just be, and somebody, someone's going to come up to me afterwards and say, well, Pastor Jeff, you're just not listening, are you? <laughs> well, thanks a bunch. I'm glad I shared. <laughs> but you see, there are some of us here, some watching online, and you have run in the rain and you haven't heard from God for a while. And I just want to say, thank you for your discipline. 
when it's not been as you've wanted it to be. Some of us have run, some of you have run, when you just didn't understand what was going on. My day was messed up yesterday. About, I don't know, 9.30 yesterday, England seven hours ahead. Our daughter Kelly, she emailed Kay and me and she said, today I'm taking the kids to a goodbye party for one of Stanley's friends at school. She is eight years old. The cancer has come back. She's been told she has just a few weeks. So there's a baptism today and there's face painting and rainbow cake. And, and then an hour or two later, she sent me a photograph of this beautiful eight-year-old child. And I was angry. I don't know this young lady, but I'm angry and I'm, I'm very conscious that some of you have and are living through this. Please forgive me even referring to my day trip into anguish. But it, I couldn't get it off my mind. And I was trying to get ready to preach last night. And, and I decided, I thought, I, I, I'm going to pray. It's not a bad idea for a preacher. Now, I've developed some prayers over the years. How many of you have ever heard of the prayer of Jabez? You heard of the prayer of Jabez? Raise your hand. You heard of that? Yeah. You want to hear the prayer of Jeffrey? You, want, you might want to write this down. This is a life-altering prayer. Okay, here's the prayer of Jeffrey. It starts like this. You go like this. Help! First part. Second part, you do the same thing, but you go up an octave. Help! The third part, you kind of drop down a little, but it sounds a little more serious. Help. And you end like this. Amen. That's it. Prayer of Jeffrey. T-shirts and mugs will be available soon. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I did a different prayer. And I felt like I should share it with you. I'm thinking about this beautiful young lady. And I'm angry. So here's my prayer. It went like this. God, I don't know. 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 Amen. Some of you are looking at me right now going, Pastor Jeff, we don't know about you. <laughs> and some of you know exactly what I mean. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing faith while hemmed in by question marks that buffeted you as you ran down the track. And here it came, and here it came, and there it came. And look at you. Look at you. Jesus, look at them. You kept going. Thank you. That's discipline. Sometimes it wasn't that pretty. They said that Eric Liddell, how many have seen Chariots of Fire, the movie? Eric Liddell refused to run the 100 meters on the Sunday, ran the 400 meters. He wasn't trained for that, but he won it, got the gold. They said he was the ugliest runner you ever did see. They weren't talking about his physical looks. They were talking about his running style. There was nothing aerodynamic about him. He clawed his way down the track and he passed the winner's tape with his mouth wide open. 
But one of his opponents, rivals, Harold Abraham said, people may shout their heads off about his appalling style. Well, let them. He gets there. And some of you have clawed your way mouth wide open down the track. And you'll get there. Thank you. Number five. Great running calls for teamwork. Great running calls for teamwork. The call to become a coach. The big, the big race in the Isthmian Games was the relay race. And you would hand the torch over at the critical point. The Greeks coined a phrase, let those who have the light pass it on. It's a great picture of encouragement. Are you an encourager? Truett Cathay said this, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? It's easy. That person is breathing. How did Eric Liddell win the 400 meters? Well, on the morning of the race, July 11, 1924, Paris Olympics, one of the massage team handed him a folded note and it said this. It said, in the old book it says, he that honors me I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. He folded up the note, he got down on the track and he won the gold. It's a simple application. Are we people who spur others on, who encourage the call to become a coach? Well, the last thing is this, and that is that runners go to the finish line. They go to the finish line. They are faithful until the race is done. Let me wrap up this message by telling you a little bit more about Mr. Chariots of Fire. Here is Eric Liddell. Uh, this is his picture and he did what he did in the Olympics. And then he went back to doing what he really wanted to do. His parents were missionaries. And so he went and served as a missionary teacher in China from 1925 to 1945. Came home twice on furlough to Scotland. And when the Japanese invaded, Eric Liddell was placed in an, uh, an internment camp. They say that he started refereeing soccer matches on Sundays. How come? He said, well, the kids in the camp, the youth were getting restless, they'd have fights, so he stepped in to intervene. I love that. He had a principal a Sabbatarian principle about running for his own glory, but he was happy, very happy to break it to serve others. He uh, developed a brain tumor. Winston Churchill managed to arrange a prisoner exchange for him. His third daughter had been born, and he had not met her, and he never did meet her. And it is said, there's some discussion around the story, but it's said that he refused the prisoner exchange because a pregnant woman in the camp, he wanted her to have freedom and health care. 
And on the 21st of February, just a few months before the camp was liberated, he passed away. A survivor of the same camp who knew him, Langdon Gilkey, he said this. He said, often in an evening, I would see Eric bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary, interested, pouring all of himself into the effort to capture the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I've ever known. After he passed, the same man wrote this. After Eric passed, he said, the entire camp, especially its youth, was stunned for days. So great was the vacuum that Eric's death left. And according to a fellow missionary, this man's final words on his deathbed were, it's complete surrender, signifying what he felt about his relationship with God. He finished well. He finished well. May God grant us grace to finish well too. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this encouragement in your word to run the race well, to run it to the end. And I am very conscious as a pastor that there are people who are within the hearing of my voice right now who have run in the rain. They have run accompanied by questions. They have run in the silence. They have run with the wind against them. Father, I would like to pray that they would sense encouragement and grace and strength right now. As our heads are bowed, if that's where you find yourself right now, I don't have to say very much more. If I'm describing you, I would just love to further include you in prayer. Would you slip up your hand and just hold it there for a moment? I'm running in the rain. Thank you for responding. You can lower your hands. Would you look at your beautiful people, Lord? Some of them staggering down the track. Some of them their feet bloodied and bruised. Some of them limping. Would you grant them grace and strength for the day? I'd like us to keep our heads bowed. Every race has a beginning. On your marks, get set, go. And often the runners will kneel at the starting block to begin the race. The Christian life begins with kneeling, kneeling in our hearts kneeling before God, if you will, and saying, okay, you take charge now. Please come into my life. Please forgive me. Please take over. Jesus died on the cross in order to secure the opportunity to forgive every one of us 
for our sins. That thing that burdens us, that weighs us down. And it gives us the opportunity to begin a whole new life of journeying with him. I said it earlier. He says, come follow me. I'm going somewhere. Are you coming? Do you want to come with me? And so I'm going to pray a prayer now, which is a starter prayer for the race. If you want to become a Christian, I invite you to whisper this prayer in your heart. Across this weekend, people have been doing that. It's been beautiful to be seeing beginnings. A man came up to me at the Welcome Center during this weekend and said, I've begun. I've started today. So are you ready? Here's the prayer as our heads are bowed. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to run the race with you. I want to fulfill your plan and purpose for my life. I come to you now by faith. Forgive me, cleanse me, take charge now. I choose to name your name, Jesus. I choose to declare that in this moment, I am a Christian. I am a follower of yours. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now just keep your heads bowed for one more moment. If you just prayed that because that's what you want, I'm going to ask you to be decisive about this. If you just prayed that, I'm going to ask you just to hold up your hand. Just lift your hand for a moment. Hold it there and then put it down. Do it now. People around the building, all around the building are doing that. How wonderful to see that happening. Everybody else's heads are bowed. Those of you who have just lifted your hands, would you just look up this way for a moment? I want to speak to you. Thank you for responding. At the end of this service, our prayer team will be here. We've got resources here that will help you as you are starting this race. We are delighted for you. We celebrate the beginning with you. God bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody sat up and said amen.